This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. President Joe Biden on Tuesday announced a ban on oil imports from Russia, saying it was a way to deal, quote, another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. A week earlier, during his State of the Union address, Biden had said he would use, quote, every tool at our disposal to blunt the effect of sanctions on the price of oil. Americans are seeing gas prices increase over the past few weeks. But Russian oil imports are less than 10% of U.S. energy imports. My guest is Colin Reese, senior campaigner with Oil Change International. Welcome to the program, Colin. Thank you so much for having me, Sonali. It's great to be here. So first, let's talk about um, what leverage the U.S. and the European Union have on Russia via fossil fuels. It's not clear to me who holds the leverage, because at the same time that the U.S. and Europe threaten to cut off buying Russian oil, Russia threatens to cut off supplying Russian oil, so uh, oil and gas. So who is actually the one, which force is the one that actually has the leverage here? I think it's the complex interplay, and it's a reminder that we have a heavily global energy system, uh, particularly the fossil fuel energy system, is heavily globally interconnected, and uh, prices operate for the most part on a, a global market. Uh, so in, I think this is important to realize, we'll come back to this, but when big oil talks about ramping up oil production as much as possible in the U.S., that actually wouldn't do a lot to impact uh, U.S. prices at the pump. It would do a little bit, uh, but it wouldn't do nearly what they're claiming to do because these prices are set at a global level and dependent on so many other things. And so I think what we, when President Biden announced a ban on importing of Russia oil and gas to the U.S. on Tuesday, uh, there's a lot of political symbolism there. There is also some economic pain that is being inflicted on uh, but it's important to know that the U.S. doesn't actually import that much Russian oil and gas. And so that is, I think, more of a political act. Uh, Russia does export a lot of oil and gas to many parts of the European Union, in particular to Germany and Italy. And so I think the, the question of what will happen there, those are the sort of uh, release valves in a sense that would, that would put the most pain on Russia if the EU was to ex stop accepting Russian oil and gas. Uh, but as you mentioned, I think, the EU is also heavily dependent on those sources of oil and gas and currently experiencing massive price spikes. So I think it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a global war in a sense, but it's a complex issue with a lot of leverage on both sides. So let's talk about U.S. gas price increases, um, setting aside what might be happening in Europe. Gas prices were going up before uh, this announcement by Biden to yeah. uh, cut off Russian exports or imports rather. And as I mentioned, something like less than 10%, I believe it's something like 7% of all uh, US energy imports are from Russia. So are headlines that link rising US oil prices to the Russian war on Ukraine accurate? They're partially accurate. As with, as with many things, that's, that's part of the answer. Uh, we have seen rising gas prices well before the most recent surge in aggression from Russia and in invading Ukraine. Uh, this is, it's important to remember that the oil industry is a boom bust industry. This has been the cycle of fossil fuel prices for, I think, well over 100 years now. 
This is an extremely volatile industry that goes through price spikes and price dips. Uh, and for that reason, it's not something that we want our economies to be hooked to, I think, in the future. For decades, we've seen economies rise and fall, uh, political leaders rise and fall, huge political consequences all over the world, uh, almost entirely because so much of the world's economy is hooked to this extremely volatile commodity uh, of oil and, and gas to a lesser extent. And so I think that boom bust cycle has always been in effect. It will always be in effect until we move the world off fossil fuels, which there's a lot more momentum to do right now. Uh, but the war in the Ukraine uh, has certainly increased the spike in a sense, or uh, increased fear among investors, driven up prices, uh, perhaps more than, I think it's safe to say more than they would have otherwise increased. So it's not the sole cause, uh, but it is one piece. I think it's important to remember that we are seeing price spikes. We are seeing uh, American consumers being hurt by this, particularly uh, the most poor and vulnerable among us. Uh, but we're also seeing oil companies raking in massive profits, just obscene amounts of money, record, record-breaking windfall profits uh, in Q3 and Q4 last year, heading into Q1 this year. Uh, this is something where we are absolutely seeing big oil and gas profiteering off this moment. Uh, I think there's a strong potential that there's price gouging going on. So there are some some rumors on Capitol Hill and the Biden administration of investigating uh, what big oil is doing here, because while prices are high and gouging American consumers, big oil CEOs are doing just fine. Right. I mean, there may be the sense when American consumers go to the gas pump that the price of oil is linked to some complex economic formula, uh, formulae. But um, is it fair to say that oil and gas companies might be raising prices because they fear a cutting off of supplies in the far future? They're raising oil prices because they can. I think that's absolutely a possibility. I think it's it's worth noting that uh, big oil has a playbook for crises. Uh, as soon as Russia invaded Ukraine, big oil immediately had full, full press on all media around the world, talking points ready, uh, talking mm. about how they needed more support, more handouts, more drilling. Big oil is always its own best solution and they are never uh, hesitant to take advantage of a crisis. So yeah, we don't know all the details here. We do know that they've been raking in record-breaking profits, and I think they're doing two things. One, they're trying to make as much money as possible in this specific moment. They want to absolutely continue to expand production, uh, but they're also trying to lock in future production. This is an era in which, uh, I mean, the last uh, recent, recent events have been a bit of an aberration, but there's a lot of momentum for climate action happening in the US and otherwise. There's a lot of momentum away from drilling, a lot of people turning against, I think rightfully so, turning against big oil and gas and their greenwashing. And they see the potential moment to themselves up for the medium and the long term to lock in another 10, 20, 30, 40 years of production to build long lived export and import and transportation infrastructure that will last 60, 70, 80 years. Uh, I think big oil sees this as a potential escape hatch in a way, and they are charging ahead without any concern for either American consumers or the climate. So the uh, Biden administration's actions to uh, ban Russian oil imports seems to be a response to growing international pressure to do something, anything to stop Russia's incursion and invasion of an, an attack on Ukraine. Yet, of course, um, 
I imagine Biden is quite sensitive to the fact that this being an election year with midterm elections this fall, that often the party in power um, gets punished if there are high gas prices affecting consumers, right? So there are political issues at play here that seems to suggest that it's a good thing to try to stop being so dependent in general on oil and gas in the long term for any party in power, right? I think that's exactly right. We've seen important actions from the Biden administration so far. As you mentioned, Tuesday's ban on Russian imports of oil and gas uh, to the U.S. was was a key step. I think it's important to recognize that this is a, a shift in some ways from the Biden administration. We've seen them for many weeks and months now talk about how Congress has to act, how there's a need for other parts of the government to do things on climate and energy. That's all true. Uh, but there's so much that the Biden administration can do at an executive level. And so I think this is an example. Banning these imports was an executive action that didn't require an act of Congress. And that's important precedent because uh, the Biden administration can do so much more on climate and to address this, this emergency. The Biden administration can send checks to poor Americans. We saw that during the, during the pandemic, for instance. The Biden administration can uh, take executive action through something called the Defense Production Act to massively ramp up production of renewable energy technology, of energy efficiency and renewable energy technology, uh, both for Americans and for Europeans and others all around the world for the global south. This is something where we can lead, lead the world in hastening this transition, in reducing our dependence on foreign fossil fuels and Russian fossil fuels, absolutely, but on fossil fuels in general. Uh, fossil fuels are just such a volatile commodity. It's a really bad idea to be hooking a lot of your economy to them. And so what we need to be doing is both dealing with the immediate harm, making sure that we're protecting consumers and protecting the most vulnerable people among us, uh, both from a moral standpoint and as you mentioned, a political standpoint. Uh, but we also need to be making sure that we're moving away from a fossil fuel economy as soon as possible. We've seen some quite good stuff coming out of Europe on that front, and I think we need to see a lot of that action in the US as well. What about the fact that some of the large multinational oil corporations like Shell, et cetera, have also left Russian um, oil fields and and production, um, you know, as if to say that they too have some sort of moral position that they're taking against the Russian war on Ukraine? I think it's pretty highly cynical and in fact an illustration of how they do not have any sort of moral center other than their own profits. I think we have seen these companies invest for decades in propping up Russia's regime, in propping up Putin and all of his autocrats, in helping Russian oil and gas companies develop new technologies to exploit as many fossil fuels as possible. Uh, I think almost all of these major oil and gas companies in the US, there's a picture on the internet of them shaking hands with Putin, of them signing deals in Russia, of them pouring billions of dollars into developing Russian oil and gas. Uh, and they did that because they could. They did that because they were making money at that point. They did that despite uh, Putin's war in Chechnya in 1999, despite Putin's war in uh, Crimea and in southern Ukraine in 2014. Uh, Putin hasn't changed who he is. The Russian oil and gas companies haven't changed who they are. What changed was the public perception of being associated with Russia, uh, the public perception of big oil companies being invested in Russia. So it's absolutely true that they, they've divested. We, I think that's great. I think everybody should be divesting from Russian oil and gas assets. I think the fact that we saw 
big oil companies invested in Russia until very recently, until just the last couple of weeks. They didn't divest due to any of Russia's previous imperial activity, wars in Chechnya, wars in uh, Crimea in 2014. Uh, they could still make money. They were still willing to be associated. What changed last? What, what changed within the last couple of weeks after Russia invaded Ukraine is that be, it became societally unacceptable in the West to be associated with Russia and to be invested in Russia. So big oil companies realized that they could make more money uh, from divesting from Russian oil and gas than they could remaining invested. That's what shifted. And I think that shows you what the real motivation is here. There's also other uh, political issues with the Biden administration um, now turning to Venezuela to potentially resume an energy dependent relationship there. The United States had, of course, um, cut Venezuela off because of various geopolitical reasons vis-a-vis -vis Latin America and what they see as the rise of socialism in Latin America, Venezuela being a major oil producer on the world. Um, the U U.S. now seems to be putting aside its moral objections to Venezuela in reaching out to that country until maybe the headlines on Venezuela crop up again and then it'll divest from Venezuela, perhaps. Uh, it's, uh, Biden is catching some flack from uh, other uh, observers, I believe, as the Wall Street Journal on Tuesday that, that uh, said it could make sense of Biden's approach to oil in sending a delegation and a White House sent, actually sent a delegation to Venezuela. So what do you make of that? Again, this seems to be yet another way in which um, dependence on the oil and gas industry exposes our moral double standards. I think it absolutely exposes double standards. I think it is extremely clear in moments like this more than ever that oil and gas and energy are a geopolitical tool. They are something that uh, the U.S. government has historically used as a justification for wars, uh, as a justification for regime change uh, and interfering in other countries' politics. Uh, it's They see it as a very important tool for geopolitical politics at the global stage because it is. Uh, and so I think it's important to remember that that hasn't changed, uh, to remember that the U.S., is still incredibly important and influential on the global stage, uh, but that they are also using this crisis to rearrange the global order, to try to win the next war in a sense. And so I don't, I don't think there's necessarily a problem with that, but I do think it's a reminder that one of the, one of the side effects of being so addicted to oil and gas of the fossil fuel companies' decades-long campaign to make sure that everybody is heavily dependent on oil and gas uh, and to infiltrate governments at all levels is that you have war, you have conflict. Uh, the instability of this commodity of oil and gas at a global level and their volatility lead directly to suffering. And so I think it's more critical than ever in these moments to recognize that this is a chance to free ourselves from that dependency, to free ourselves from that cycle of conflict and fossil fueled harm and pain and death. Uh, and to, to build a better world, hopefully. Uh, let's f uh, finish our conversation with looking at an op-ed by uh, top environmental organizer Bill McKibben, who wrote in The Guardian, uh, this is how we defeat Putin and other petro-state autocrats. He wrote, this is not a war for oil and gas, but rather a war underwritten by oil and gas. And he points out that if um, Europe was dependent on wind energy, on solar power, that we wouldn't be talking about 
um, you know, worrying. Uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't be discussing rising energy prices as lives are at stake. And you know, he's also pointing out that the cost of renewable energy is incredibly cheap right now. So can you expand on that a little bit? How financially viable? Say, if you look at energy, the energy industry from a purely capitalist perspective, why aren't we choosing renewable energy? Bill McKibben was exactly right in his op-ed. Renewable energy is cheaper. Renewable energy is safer. Renewable energy can be deployed more quickly. What big renewable energy has been lacking over the last several years is political power. Uh, big oil and gas have bought out our politicians. Big oil and gas have an outsized sway over politicians around the world. And they have been able to use that sway to lock in more oil and gas production, to block renewable energy deployments, renewable energy development. And I think those, this is a moment in which that can change. This is a moment in which we're seeing Europe announce exciting new initiatives to transition incredibly quickly away from fossil fuels and toward renewable energy. Uh, this is something that can happen, can happen very quickly. It can't happen overnight. So we do need to make sure that people are okay in the meantime. But there's so much that can be done. Uh, President Biden can do it through executive action in the US and that Europe and other places are already doing to reduce our fossil fuel dependency to uh, help prevent any future wars over oil because there won't be any oil happening at all. Uh, so that's a really good question. Why isn't Biden using this moment to push a, a critical part of his campaign platform, which is to reduce our dependence on oil and to address climate change by ramping up renewable energy production? This would seem to be a win-win politically for him. I agree. I think it's uh, I think it is a win-win. I think I was surprised not to see more mention of his incredibly popular climate plan in his State of the Union. Uh, I will say, I think that an important piece of this is not just building renewable energy, but in resisting big oil and gas and the GOP's calls to ramp up drilling, to ramp up fossil fuel expansion. And so we really need Biden to hold the line there as well. Uh, these are projects which would not be built for several years which would in fact deepen our dependence on this fossil fuel system and worsen climate chaos all at the same time. And so I think so far we've seen some restraint in not acceding to those calls, but we need to see much more action to actively build out the renewables and kind of shift the economy in a new direction. Well, Colin, I wanna thank you so much for joining us today. Give out the website for Oil Change International. Thanks so much, Sonali. It was great to join. Uh, we are at priceofoil.org and you can find more there. And we'll link to that. Thanks again, Colin. My guest has been Colin Reese, senior campaigner with Oil Change International. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.